Hello, I am Rizal, and you are listening to another episode of A Positive Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and learn. It has been wonderful to hear how much of an impact all these different topics and discussions have had on many of you. Today's podcast is dedicated by an anonymous sponsor in honor of the Kines HaShluchos, in appreciation to all those shluchos who have dedicated their lives to sharing love and kindness and a helping hand to anyone who may be in need. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, please reach out to me through my website, apositivecoach.com, or you can find this address in the show's episode description as well. In today's episode, I have the honor and privilege to speak with Shua Naparstak. Shua's courage and bravery is one of the first things that I noticed. Shua's willingness to share, be vulnerable, and inspire us deeply impacted me, and I'm sure will impact you as well. One of the most incredible messages that Shua shared is the power of hope and healing that one can attain when we are willing to ask for help and accept the help, although admitting that can be very difficult. But when we are ready to receive support and love, we can gain so much. It's truly uplifting to see how Shua is turning his pain into healing and hope for others, which in turn is part of his own healing journey. If you or a loved one is struggling with sex addiction or any addiction for that matter, know that you're not alone and that there's so much hope and support available to you. Please reach out. I've also included Shua's email in the show notes for you to send your own questions or messages. Again, thanks for listening. And now sit back, relax, and be ready to grow. Welcome to another podcast. Today, I have the honor and privilege to be interviewing or talking to Shua Naparsek. Shua reached out to me, the husband of Bashi Naparsek, and wanted to share his um, side of the story or his own experiences. And I thought it'd be a great opportunity for our you know, listeners to hear another perspective. You know, Bashi's story has really touched many and inspired many people to reach out for help, for support, and just even a realization that they're not alone, that actually there are so many people that actually struggle similarly in their own way, but it's so important for people to know that there are other people out there having similar experiences. And the feedback that I got, one of the things that I, I heard from people was, I would love to hear from Bashi's husband. I'd love to hear how he was able to find the strength and where he gets his support from and how he was able to navigate those you know, challenging moments and times. And when you reached out, I thought, what a great opportunity. What a great chance for all of us to really um, get an inner look and understanding of what it means to be supporting somebody at the same time supporting ourselves. Because we know that it doesn't just impact the person that's struggling, the impact is on our spouses and our family and our children and all the loved ones. So it's really important to hear that side of it. So I'm going to get ask you to share whatever you can with us, feel comfortable, and um, tell us a little bit about your own experience throughout all this. First of all, thank you for this uh, platform and the opportunity. I, I really, really appreciate it. I'm uh, feeling very emotional. Um, just th this, uh, this opportunity, um, 
has been a long time coming. It feels like what, with what's happening in the world with, um, with Chaim Walder and that whole story, the time has come for people to start to speak and start to share their stories. My story only intersects with Bashi's a lot later. I, I definitely have my own journey and my own story. Um, I think I, I wanted to, I want to start when I was about 10 years old. At, at about 10 years old, I had a very happy childhood. Um, my, my mother is a very, um, parents are very driven people, very, very, um, upright, amazing, wonderful, um, and I had a beautiful childhood. At about 10 years old, I became very, very withdrawn inward, um, lost a lot of my zest for life. Um, and at one point in, a, 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 in the back of a car with a friend, I discovered pornography. And that um, was the beginning of a very difficult and long journey for me, um, leading throughout the years of yeshiva into, um, into my marriage. And I somehow uh, managed to do the things that people from my community do I went through the yeshiva system. I did all the, I got smicha. Um, I, I, I did all the, I checked all the boxes. I was even in Kailal and the entire time struggling with this um, pornography addiction and a food addiction. And I, I met Bashi, we got married a year after our marriage we went on Schlichus to uh, Fort Lauderdale, to Florida. And in Florida, it was a tremendous struggle. Uh, now I can look back and, and see the positive aspect that even with everything that I was struggling with, you know, I was still able to build uh, what we built there, but it wasn't sustainable. And after about four years, we left and moved to Montreal and uh, we started, I, I, I found some jobs, I didn't have a status, so I found whatever jobs I could. Um, eventually I, I was in special ed for a while and I, I love that, loved giving to, 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 to kids and to helping. Um, and eventually I, I was unable to make Parnassa with that job, make ends meet and I went into an administrative job. And I worked out in a, in a warehouse um, doing the, the receivables for a big company. And Bash used to drive me. And one day on our way to work, she mentioned that the kids were getting older. It's their time to be able to go to camp. And when she mentioned the word camp, I broke down. Um, 
and yeah and take, i uh take the time that you need sure yeah uh a memory came back to me from when i was a child about 10 years old and uh i was raped in camp wow And I think for over 20 years, I, uh, I dissociated. I, didn't, I couldn't allow myself to remember it. It was just too horrific. And that just that the, the idea of my kids going to camp brought it back. Uh, and I started, I had been in recovery uh, for, for sex addiction for some time at that point. And um, I went into, I'd been doing group therapy and individual therapy, and I really started doing uh, EMDR and, and processing and reprocessing that memory um, to the point where now I'm able to talk about it and uh, and I don't, I don't completely fall apart. I'm still able to function um, in that memory. Incredible. That's a lot of work right there. Yeah. To get to that point, that's that's a, a huge a milestone. I just want to like acknowledge that, like to come to a point where you're able to even verbalize it. I could see your body language and not be, fall apart and be present with it and feel all the feelings that come with it. It's, it's a huge accomplishment. Thank you, yeah. Um, and part of the amazing journey that this has been for me is that where I'm sitting right now as we're doing this interview is in an office in the building where I was a client and I'm now in an internship to become a social worker and I'm um, in the same in the same place, which is really an incredible. I have, I have chills. I have goosebumps just hearing that. <laughs> an incredible journey. I'm on the team of clinicians with my former therapist, which is just absolutely incredible, wild. You're so wild. Um, and uh, recently, with with the story that happened. Um, it just felt like this was the time. You know, the world needs to hear that that uh, precious Jewish children's lives are not to be taken for granted. Yeah. So uh, I guess I, I wanted to get that out of the way early. <laughs> yes, I, I appreciate the honesty and the willingness to share. I think that's extremely powerful um, to be comfortable to come on here and to talk about this, um, there's so much that we're learning today about addiction and recovery from whatever it is that we're using to distract and numb ourselves. And to, like you said, you didn't even have the memory. You had mm -hmm. shut it down so deep inside of you. I'm yeah. curious if you could tell us a little bit about that process of from that time, you know, First of all, as a child, how you were able to deal with it, even 
subconsciously, because now that you're going back in your memories, how you how you manage to get through that, and then even from the realization that this had happened to you, what was that? What did that process look like as well? So, um, I actually remember going through my my uh, yearbook, my uh, um, transcripts from school um, because. I had to find the school that would accept my smicha as a, as a bachelor's. Right. So I, I went back and checked through my transcripts and I actually saw in third grade, first and second grade, Shua is a pleasure to have in class. He's involved. He's, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's um, answers and talks and, and smiles. And then in the middle of, in the beginning of third grade, just from the, from the teacher's comments, um, she was withdrawn. He's he's uh, he doesn't communicate. I'm not sure. Um, it it was that sudden. It went from being a vibrant, happy, joyous kid to experiencing something that was so horrific that I didn't even know how to process it, and. Um, and I, I just completely blanked it out of my memory. Um, and I, I, I really, I want to acknowledge the work of my parents, particularly my, my mother, um, because, you know, I didn't know what I was going through and she definitely didn't know what I was going through. And it's every parent's worst nightmare to see a, a child who's struggling and upset and sad and, and to not know how to help the child. And um, my mother's a very strong woman, a powerhouse. She became a lawyer after she switched careers from being a rabbi's wife to marrying off children and bar mitzvahs, and, and she became a lawyer. So she's, she's an incredible person. And she did everything and anything she could think of to help me. She took me to, to all sorts of practitioners and therapists and, and uh, um, I remember doing Feldenkrais and I remember doing um, karate and anything she could think of that might boost my self-esteem, might take me out of myself, might help me. Um, and so I give a lot of credit to her for um, me having been able to, to, to get through my childhood. Um, my father as well. My father is always someone who I just looked up to as a very principled person. He, he went through very difficult challenges and he always kept a, an incredible moral compass. No matter what was going on around, he, he stayed on his truth. He stuck to his truth, even when things were very dark. And that was like a, a lighthouse for me, that idea that there is an absolute truth and there is good and, and, and sticking to that no matter what was very powerful for me. Yeah. And um, I, I, I don't, to be honest, I'm now starting to get some more memories of my childhood. I'm, uh, I, my kids used to ask me about, you know, what did you do with your siblings? And I, I, I didn't remember. I blocked out large parts of my childhood. 
And now they're starting to come back and I'm very grateful for that. Um, but it was very painful. It was very, very painful. Even just thinking about having to constantly shut down that memory, um, medicate myself from the pain and function in school, socially, do tests, uh, um, you know, anything, anything else. The, the fact that I was able to get through grade school with what was going on, uh, I really don't know how that happened. Incredible. Did your parents ever ask you if something had happened? Um, did any of the therapists, any, anybody in your childhood ever ask you? I don't know if you know, I, I spoke with, I did an interview with Ellie Nash and he mentioned that nobody ever asked him. The first person that asked him, he actually told, but they didn't even assume to ask. And I'm curious if, um, you know, if any, anybody had asked you that question. So I think there were some signs growing up. There were a couple of troubling incidents that, that um, you know, gave some context to what was happening. But I, I think when I was growing up, it wasn't really part of the conversation. It wasn't really something that, that I don't know, that happens to us, that, that we do. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, It, I mean, I think it was, it was mentioned, it was addressed uh, to the extent that, that they were able to, but not uh, the amount of tools and recovery that there's out there now um, really did not exist to the extent um, that it did when I was a child. I mean, you know, I, I'm part of a fellowship um, you know, of uh, SA, Sexaholics Anonymous, and which is a 12-step program for people struggling with all sorts of, uh, of sex addiction. And their founder was, a, a, the, the, the creation of this was from a, a, an article that was printed by Times in the 90s. So when I was a child, this program wasn't even around. Right. Well, isn't it isn't it a take on Alcoholics Anonymous? I mean, similarly, the twelve steps are similar to are pretty much the same. Um, would you say how in, in what way is it different? And that's what that's something I'm curious about. So, the the um, all of the offshoots of the of the twelve steps original twelve um, step program of Alcoholics Anonymous are similar in the sense that um, the only step that's different is the first step. What am I powerless over? Right. The other steps are all the same. And, and the incredible thing about the 12-step program is that it's about reconnecting to a higher power. And you know the problem is not the substance or the process that, that we use the problem is what we're using the substance or process to escape. Right. Because it's actually a solution. It's, it's actually the solution. Exactly. And a very powerful part is finding a connection to a higher power. And I, 
I'm grateful that for today for me, that's Hashem. But for a long time, it wasn't necessarily that way. I was essentially raped by religion. It was a, a, a religious person, long beard, um, you know, that whole picture for me represented religion and took away my innocence. So um, that, that's definitely been a journey for me. Wow. Can you um, tell us, was this something that you felt that you were groomed for in camp? Was it a one-time thing? I mean, I don't mean to get into details. I'm just curious from that angle. Was it something that was built up over time over the summer? I'm, I'm curious about that as well. So the interesting thing about dissociation is that I, I don't get to choose which memories I, I recover. <laughs> right, I, this is true. I, I have memories of... Um, what, what happened to me, what was done to me. Okay. Um, I remember wood paneling in an office. Um, I remember that people were there. I don't, I don't recall faces, which is why wow. I haven't pressed any charges or done anything. Um, you can't even have a, you don't have a name to that person. No. no wow. That is a very powerful thing, but to, to learn about, to, you know, hear about that dissoci dissociation because that's how powerful it is that you literally chose to escape it so much that you can't even fully remember it. It's, I'm learning about it more and more now from a, from a, a therapist standpoint, which is an incredible journey. And I, by the way, I highly recommend the book by Bessel van der Kolk, The, the Body Keeps the Score. The yeah. um, that, that, that was my story. So much of that was just, I, I, it's not an easy read, but I could no. not stop. I could not put that book down when I picked it up. Um, so validating on so many different levels. Um, but part of what they, they discuss there is the idea that um, when a child and the, you know, we talk about the verb of a child as childlike, is innocent and, and, and pure, and when that innocence is ripped away and something that's totally beyond any frame of reference for a child happens, um, the, the, the body needs to find a way to, to keep living. And I can say today that I'm grateful for my addiction because if it wasn't for that um, that. I latched on to, to deal with the pain, I probably wouldn't be alive today, to be very right. honest. Yeah, that is what kept you alive. And it's like Ellie Nash said in that other podcast where he said like, you know, you're surviving, you need to eat what you can if you're eating snails or bugs because you got to survive. And then you're, then you're done out of the survival mode. Now you need to learn how to stop eating the bugs because the bugs can start killing you themselves. So now Absolutely. it's like relearning a whole, you know, at that time, you needed it for the nutrients to stay alive. And now you have to relearn and figure out how am I going to live my life without these bugs? It's yeah. like a whole new learning curve. So, so what I'm hearing you say is that you had your own trauma. You had your yeah. own experience here of challenges. And you came into your life without even knowing 
about your trauma. It wasn't like you had known anything about this. No one had ever asked if you had been molested or raped and it wasn't in the language at the time when you were growing up. And as such, you had your own, you know, private addiction that you were going struggling with. And this only came up for you later on in life. So tell us a little bit about the process from the realization when you started to have that memory that when your wife asked you about camp, but it triggered that for you and how you got to where you are today. So just to, just to clarify with, as with any addiction, especially sex addiction in a marriage um, is very, very destructive. And we needed to do a lot of work as a couple individually and as a couple to be able to move past that. And I do want to say that while I can't take um, complete um, responsibility for the first manic episode that Bashi experienced, I do know that my um, addiction was a large part of the factors that brought her into that state. And so that's an important thing to mention. You know, it was the, it was around that time that I disclosed to her what I was going through and she had suspected for a long time, but it was around that time. It was after, um, it was postpartum, which is always a vulnerable time. And, uh, somehow, I don't know why I should have decided it should be that time that I disclosed, but, um, that's what happened. So I, I, I do feel it's important to mention that, you know, that all these things do intersect and, and, uh, oh, I think- absolutely. That's an inter- That's a very important piece. You know, obviously when Bashi was speaking, she wasn't going to share the piece of about, you know, what you wanted to share. It's your life and your story, even though it's obviously both of yours, but you've both chosen to be open and share and help others with your story, which we know is one of the steps of recovery is helping others is, is a big piece of the recovery, which I find to be so incredible about the 12 step program. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting through the big book right now myself and I'm part, I'm, I'm in the parts of the stories and I'm having a hard time putting it down and it's a big book. Yeah. So, it it really a is a big book. Yeah. But it's incredible and to see that piece of it. From, from, uh, from my limited understanding, you know, the, um, the, the 12 step, uh, literature, especially the big book, it, it seems to, to be some, uh, some divine inspiration or something, because this, this book has helped so many people. And, you know, I don't know whether it's the book or whether it's the fact that people who are suffering come together and, who they are and what they are outside of the room when they're in the room it's only the basis of their common addiction and the power of people coming together um you know i've been to i've been to uh, recovery retreats we went as couples and um the 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 world of recovery really feels like the times of mashiach you know yes i was just gonna say that that's so true it's all different types of people, you know, outsides don't matter. What we do doesn't matter who we are financially. Um, family ties don't matter. 
you know, religion doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. We're there for each other. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the ability, to, the, the, the gift of having discovered that um, is something that I'm, you know, never sufficiently grateful for. Yes, that's a beautiful point. I want to I want to go back to something you said previously. You said that um, you're grateful that today the higher power is Hashem for you. Um, it's something I touched upon a little bit with Ellie Nash, and I'm curious to hear more about. The higher power can be any, obviously, for anyone to understand what that means to them. And I'm curious, as a boy who grew up and went through the system, has smicha, and lived a from lifestyle, and was struggling with this shameful addiction in the background, and with all that that you had experienced, the trauma that you experienced, tell us a little bit about that experience with the higher power, how that worked out for you. Yeah, so that's, um, you know, there, there are certain things when everything, if, uh, when someone experiences a rape or a molestation, it's kind of like the world is out of sync. Things that were given are no longer given. You know, there's, there's um, you can't really trust anyone anymore. Um, adults are not safe. It's, it's a very difficult place and world to be in. And so in terms of religion, you know, the, the, the basis for a child of religion is their role models, really. You know, the, the parents who, and I, I'm so grateful for the education that my parents gave me. Um, and, and for growing up, um, which where we met on Shlichus and Marina Del Rey, um, you know the the best possible childhood and 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 really the uh, the idea of giving came you know how that's a passion of mine came from there totally um, but with that being said the the confusion and the darkness really muddies the waters um, with with EMDR EMDR is very powerful because the, the brain is the most powerful um, uh, uh, organ in the body. And the brain has the ability to remember, it has the ability to dissociate, and it has the ability to reprocess memories. And what I did in EMDR was I went back to that place as a child. I went into that room and I re-experience what I'd experienced then, but I had, I actually had the Lubavitcher come and pick me up and hold me in his arms and take me out. That's powerful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, going through and seeing sometimes the, um, dark underside, especially in, 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 in the, uh, in the field that I'm in now, which I'm, I'm, I'm honored and, and blessed to be in the field of, 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 of helping and, uh, and being there for people in addiction counseling, um, which by the way, I, I reached out to the, um, my supervisor and the, the bosses here and they gave their blessing for me to give this interview so that is beautiful yeah well that's very much in sync with recovery is 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 um sharing i think a big piece of 
people don't realize this, but I think so much of what's holding people back from getting help, asking for help, um, doing the work is the shame that it's going to bring to the family, to the siblings, to the, to the spouses. And as if any of us have control over any of this, as if any mm. of us asked for this, did we ask to be tested like this? No. no. And so, but I think if parents only realized, and if people would drop that shame, so much healing can happen. Like it's the first step of healing. I don't mean, you don't have to go and announce it in the streets, but being able to just say it, there's so much freedom that mm. comes from being able to share, especially with others who are in similar situations. So you were saying that for you having, you know, somebody who took advantage of you and hurt you that in that way was somebody who was part of our religion. That must've been challenging in that piece as well. And yet you're still able to, at this point today, accept your higher power and realize that for you, it's Hashem. So the journey is, is nowhere near over, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say this. I think more than saying, um, that I was raped, it's harder for me to say what I'm about to say, but, um, I have a PTSD reaction when I put on tefillin every day. And that's just part of what I deal with. And putting on tefillin is very, very difficult for me. Um, and sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's harder growing up and knowing that I have a son um, and this is something, and I'm so blessed to be who I am in, in the community that I'm a part of, uh, but this is, this is a reality. Um, mikvah, mikvah is a very, very big trigger. I'm very grateful that recently I'm able, and people might not understand how huge this is, but I'm able to go to the mikvah with my son. It's a, no, it's a very it's a huge thing. Yeah. I think even for people that maybe didn't experience such a trauma there, I've heard, I've heard other people share that that is very triggering for them. It's, it's a very um, uncomfortable thing for them. And especially to do with their children, it's, it's really hard. Yeah. So, yeah. The journey is ongoing. It's, it's um, I think the journey will be over when I'm over, <laughs> you know, after That's 120. Right. That's life. That's it's it. It's about the process. Yeah. This is true. Um, just to get back to what, what, what you're saying earlier about how the intersection between my addiction and, and, and Bashi's, you know, um, this, the, uh, the fact that we both have our um, struggles gives us a very deep understanding of each other. And it's a very powerful way that we, um, that we connect. It's not the only thing that, that we have that we connect with, but it's a very, very powerful part of what makes our relationship work. And that's something I'm very grateful for. Yes, it's, that's, it is incredible because <clears throat> when initially hearing Bashi's story, I, I remember feeling and thinking, oh, how, how did her husband handle all of this? How was he able to navigate all of this? And to hear you say that you both had your own struggles and they were kind of going on simultaneously. Absolutely. So I'm curious about the support that you had at the time. How were you able to get through that? So the, the 
my recovery fellowship was like <clears throat> like family to me. Um, the first time that that Bashi was in the hospital and I was alone with the kids, I would call my sponsor every every few minutes. I'd go in the bathroom and I would cry and I would call my sponsor and and he would just ground me, you know, breathe, breathe through it. You'll get through this minute. My parents were amazing. They found out and they they came in and they they had found out also um, because it was tied to my addiction. They found out about, about my addiction as well. And they were so supportive from the beginning. They were just so incredibly supportive. Um, so, you know, my parents um, and then it was the recovery fellowship and my family, um, Bashi's family as well. That was a bit of a, of a, you know, a tough, a tough road because it was a hard pill for everybody to swallow, but we, we got through it. Um, and, uh, and then I had this administrative job and I lost it because of COVID. And actually my mother-in-law, right before we found out that she had pancreatic cancer, she found an article in uh, an ad in, in the Ami magazine for YU. And she, she showed it to Bashi, she showed it to me and she said, this would be perfect for you. And she encouraged me to attend the open house and I, I fell in love. And I, I, you know, it was, um, I, I read an article that calls it, uh, there's a term ego syntonic. It means that it meshes with my entire life experience and who I am as a person up until this point. It really feels like something that I'm just privileged and, and, and grateful to be able to do. I, I specifically went through the, um, course without telling any of my um my peers or my professors uh what i you know what i'm what i struggle with and what i what i go through um i did write a paper on a um on a client it could be real or imaginary and my client was myself and i think my professor figured it out but um very grateful to be able to have gone through this experience and be going through this experience just as me, who I am. And then coming through, so after my mother-in-law passed away in the second um, hospitalization, we, my, we decided that there was, you know, it was a journey of just authenticity, being who we are. Um, and so my family and my wife's family all were uh, so supportive and helpful. Um, the community stepped in. We really, um, we, people were offering help and we accepted it, which is one of the hardest things to do. Uh, but we asked for help and we got help and, and, um, and you know, there's, there's an idea that wounds that you can see are easier to help with and wounds that you can't are sometimes so much more difficult to deal with because on the outside everything looks okay. You know, you can't uh, 
you can't see addiction, you can't see mental illness, you can't see any of these things. And, and so part of the process is, um, this is something that Bashi always says, awareness, acceptance, and then action. Yeah. You know, if I, I have to know who I am and what I'm about, then I can accept it. And once I accept it, I can do something about it. And so that's something that, that uh, the community was very, very much a part of our, our um, recovery. And not even the Chabad community, all the community, the Jewish community in general, just people from all over. Um, and my family, my siblings, and, and my parents. Uh, Incredible. And Specifically, the fellowship, as you mentioned, and Bashi mentioned as well, that support. <clears throat> that exists within uh, the the world of a of of whatever you want to call SA or AA or whatever it is is incredible, and yeah. I feel like it's the secret sauce for mental health illness, mental illness as well. We uh, they have a joke. I heard this from Sonny Perlman. He says if you have somebody who's struggling with mental illness or like you know some kind of some you know bipolar whatever it may be, get them drunk or give them an addiction and then get them into recovery because once they have that, that support, yeah, they can get through anything. It's a joke, obviously, but I'm saying that doesn't exist in the mental health world. When Bashi shared that idea where she started a, a whole program in, in, in um, recovery and the support system in Montreal, that's so powerful because I think that's what's missing mm. for people that just struggle, not to want to say just, that struggle with mental illness. They don't have that support. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of embarrassment. It's not like, you know, somebody has cancer. Everyone's bringing over suppers and helping them and paying for chasanas and everything. But like you said, when it's something that you can't see, all of a sudden it's not, it's not as comfortable. It's not as, you know, glamorous. Um, and I think that that whole fellowship is the secret to the recovery for every human being. And it's something that we all want and need in our lives. And that's why I think also with regard to you coming on here, being comfortable to share your story. Um, a lot of people, like even with Ellie Nash, we shared in his TED talk, he says, it's, it's like my addiction is, S, you know, essay. That's so embarrassing. There's so much shame there. There's even, there's in a deeper layer. Like, couldn't I just have had like some kind of, you know, be an alcoholic, be a drug mm. addict. Even that is normal or in some ways in, in society when it's really not, we don't ask for our pain that Hashem has given us or the tests that we have. But the mm -hmm. fact that you're coming on here and talking about it and somebody who's listening will be so inspired by that and realize that everybody can ask for help and get help. And like you said, asking for help, it's so yeah. difficult. It's so hard. Those first, those, those words, I need help. They're the most, the hardest words to say and the most powerful words that you can say. Yeah. The two, two things that came to mind as you're, as you're saying that, which, which that really resonates with me because that's, that's the essence of my story um, is that, you know, it was very helpful for me to, to realize that there are, everybody needs to be able to give. And as much as I need the help, I'm also providing an opportunity for someone else to be able to give. And giving is so important for the giver as well. So as much as I'm taking, I'm also giving 
by the act of making myself vulnerable and you know forget the whole hashkafa part of it that's a basic human need we all need to give that's how we grow the the, the other part that that i i actually tell a lot to clients is that there's a strong difference between shame and guilt and and uh, guilt you know there's this addiction cause incredible wreckage and damage. And that's something that, you know, I make living amends for on a daily basis through the choices that I make in my recovery. But guilt means I made a mistake. Shame means I am a mistake. And the addiction lives in shame. The addiction loves shame. Being able to own who I am. This is part of who I am. I didn't get to choose. I, I didn't choose to be raped. I didn't choose to have developed this addiction. I didn't choose, but it's about what I do with what I've been given. I could, I could curl up in a ball and I have every right to, you know, be depressed and not get out of bed. And, and uh, I, I do want to mention, because it's an important piece that immediately after the memory came back to me, I was very depressed. And, you know, my mother is uh, um, very much into health and, 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 uh, and that's always been an important part of my, of my, uh, you know, growing up and I needed to uh, go on an antidepressant and I did, and it, it was very helpful. And these things are created for a reason. You know, my, my, body did not produce enough serotonin. I couldn't, I couldn't function. And, uh, you know, taking help when it's, when it's needed and, uh, um, and then making a choice. So, so this is my story. So now it's now, right. It's a powerful story. Uh, tell us, Shua, what do you do on days that you find that you struggle when there are days, the moments of challenges or where you're feeling you're feeling the urge and you're feeling weak and you're not feeling it at the moment. What, what do you find to be helpful? So I, you know, one of the most important things in, a, in recovery is the, um, the fellowship and um, part of the addictive cycle is that, you know, the, 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 Addiction is something that's against my core beliefs. It's not part of who I am as a person. It's actually the antithesis of who I am as a person and what I believe in. Um, and then when I put myself into that addictive state, it's because of certain triggers, things in the environment, emotions that come up for me. So in my recovery, I recognize those. And there's always that moment of clarity where I have a choice. And in that moment, I can choose to either indulge or to reach out and reaching out and sharing what's on my mind and on my heart is a, a fail safe, a never fail way to get out of that cycle. So um, sharing and being there for others and my family you know, my, I have seven incredible children, Kanai Nahara, uh, you know, my, my incredible wife, who's been, uh, you know, we, she's been an incredible support and, and, and uh, 
um, my best friend and uh, just I, I'm so lucky to have her in my life and 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 um, the recovery fellowship and and what I do on a daily basis I'm, I'm so privileged and honored to be able to help people go through these these journeys and I want to say something else by the way that you know, people who are listening who might um, relate to my story might feel like, um, why, why me? Or do I need to have some sort of a, a precipitating factor, some sort of a, a traumatic event? The, 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 the most amazing thing that I've discovered is that, and, and um, this is the basis of somatic therapy with Peter Levine, the work that he's doing, is that there are certain sensitive souls that go through life and just the injustices and the lies and the, and the, the, the crudeness of the world to certain people are a trauma in and of itself. And addiction is a search for spirituality. And every single person that I've met that, that I'm so honored and privileged to be able to work with has been a sensitive spiritual soul. So staying in addiction is a choice, but being an addict and being in recovery is a, is a badge of honor and an opportunity to go on a, a journey and an adventure that few people get to experience. Yeah, it's an incredible way that you put you paint that. It's such a such a true point to remember. You don't need to have this huge trauma. It could be mini traumas or <laughs> Just like you said, it could be even an HSP, a highly sensitive person who sees hypocrisies around him, is taught one thing in school and then sees another thing from a different teacher or from a, from a staff member or from anything. Any small thing could be enough to, to cause that person a trauma. And I think even like you said, addiction can just be that, a search for spirituality. It could be somebody who hasn't found it. It hasn't, it hasn't spoken to them the way they've been taught about Yiddishkeit or connection to Hashem. And they're maybe searching. And yeah. then through that search, they become addicted to some certain activity that numb distracts and helps them escape their pain. Yeah. And there and therein lies the, like you said, it's an opportunity, a badge of honor. Every time I hear somebody speak about recovery, but I want to take my hat off to them because it's incredible. They do so much work. And they work so hard every single day. And at the same time, there's this like, I am so lucky. There's this gratitude that you pick up. I think it was Rabbi Tversky who said that when he had a hard day, when he was struggling, he would go to a meeting to be around those. Um, I don't know if him himself was in, in recovery. That's, you know, not for me or anyone to discuss, it's, you know, anonymous. But the point is, is that being around those people is so uplifting and so inspiring. Mm -hmm. And he said this, I think he said this himself, that they're the, they're the most spiritual people. If you want to see spirituality, go to an AA meeting, go to a meeting, you'll see that's where spirituality. And I encourage people to educate themselves. I've been to open meetings myself. I'm an Al-Anon myself. And it's incredible to see, you'll meet, like you said, it's, it's like living in Mashiach times. It's like seeing people from every background, different types and it's everyone has that common connection with one another. It's it's a very powerful thing. What would you like to share with before we finish our 
time together here, what, what would be a message you want to leave my listeners with? Um, that's a great question. I think, I think your whole pot, your whole interview was a great message, but if there's something that you want to end off with. I, I want to tell people that if you're struggling, there's always, always hope. There always is a way out. Um, there it's never, um, you know, in the darkest of times, there's always a light, you know, in, 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 in some of the things that I've experienced and, and stuff that I went through, I would never have imagined that I would be here. And, you know, we talk about people who are in so much pain and I, you know, we, we can't judge. There's no way to judge the, the pain is real and the pain is intense, but there's always hope and there's always healing and don't give up. I think it's a good message. I think it's a very powerful one too. I want to thank you, um, Shua, for giving me the honor and the privilege to have this time for you to share your story. Um, I want to warn you about vulnerability hangover that Brene Brown talks about. That is something to be aware of because when we share, but we know vulnerability is where connection happens. The amount of people that you're going to help, I think will help you get over that hangover. Thank you. I have some, um, I, I, I'm aware of that and I've set up my support. So I'm good, <laughs> I'm good to go. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you are looking to find more information about positive coaching or to see if positive coaching is a fit for you or to set up your free consultation, you can reach me at apositivecoach.com or on Instagram at apositivecoach. And if you would like to not miss any of the upcoming episodes, hit the subscribe button and it will let you know when new shows are released. If you could take a moment to leave a rating or a review, it would mean a lot to me and it would help others to find our podcast. Thank you so much for being here and I'm wishing you a positive day.